With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh? Thing, uh-huh. Jeannie Buffer is our newborn king, uh-huh. And the beat goes on. The beat goes on. The drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. la da 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 The grocery stores are super modern. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. And the beat goes on. Yes, the beat goes on. And the beat goes on.
Okay, we, we are we are now live, um, and we're just going to go ahead and jump into it. Um, this okay. is this is a cup of Joe, and um, I've got a, a special guest that called in today, and uh, he's an inmate in uh, Michigan right now, and um, kind of a, a a weird story because of you know people think oh everything's cool in Michigan, and uh, it turns out. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Um, why don't you Why don't you first start by introducing yourself and and let us know. Uh, uh, I know you you got started telling me the story, but um, why don't you rewind it and and let's let's get it for everybody to hear. Right, right. Thanks again, Joe, for having me on the show. And uh, I just wanted to um, to start off by saying thank you and uh, giving folks a recap here. Um, medical marijuana is, is not uh, is not going well here in Michigan. Um, in October uh, 2017, I was raided. Everything I had going was uh, taken by the police, and um, the police didn't specify criminal charges in my in my felony complaints. And uh, since that time, I've been prosecuted now for nine months, with uh, going on ten months without any actual criminal uh, LA, uh, criminal claims being made against me. They're just prosecuting me, and I got a trial coming up. And, uh, the court's not letting me uh, have any motions heard. Um, you know, I call uh, call her come into the courthouse and schedule motions to be heard and and get to get a spot on the calendar. And then the judge orders his staff to uh, to, uh, to to uh, unschedule my hearing. So it's uh, on top of everything else, we've got a pretty uh, substantial deprivation of my due process rights here. So let's let's rewind for a second because I've I've sat in a lot of courtrooms and I've I've seen a lot of cases and and like you're saying um, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So currently you are in custody and you're in the the county jail. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm in the county jail. This is um, my 83rd or 84th day. I can't remember which. Um, I was released on bond. Uh, PR bond, $100,000 PR bond back in December. I was out for seven months with no uh, no stipulations on my bond about being around controlled substances, and obviously I was licensed by Michigan to to um, to, to, to uh, grow medical marijuana by the state, and was doing that again, and uh, I just came back in um, recently, August 8th, 2018, and uh, stole everything again and threw me back in jail, violated my bond for, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, uh, but, but the, uh, the courts uh, don't, don't even really care like they know what they're doing here, and I, and I think I figured it out 
because he was on the federal Schedule One controlled substances list. Well, Michigan is still prosecuting Michigan medical marijuana caregivers under the Public Health Code of 1978, but they're doing it without specificity. They're 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 they're, they're calling us felons, and then they're prosecuting us with a penalty. Uh, for instance, if anybody wanted to Google this, it's uh, MCL 333.7401 is is the crime that they used to charge people with um, sub one, but now they're now they're just uh, charging people with doing something contrary to MCL with, and leaving that number out and then listing the penalty number as uh, 333.7401 uh, sub two sub D sub I I I. Sub I and sub II and sub III are, are different uh, levels of uh, punishment for committing some other crime, uh, and that, that's not really hard to figure out what you're looking at it in the Michigan compiled laws. But uh, uh, when it's just listed on a felony complaint, and, and the judge is reading this to you at a arraignment where you're not uh, able to look at it, uh, it, it creates a scenario where in, uh, nobody catches this, and it's allowed to. In, in, this case, since the medical marijuana in Michigan became, um, uh, medical use of marijuana became legal in Michigan uh, in 2008, uh, nobody's caught this. So, so, so now I'm catching this. Uh, it, was, it was prevalent in the in the uh, last year's case, the October 11, 2017 case, and I brought this up to the prosecutor, and the prosecutors failed to address it, and I brought it up again in this new arraignment uh, this year, the August 8th. August 9th arraignment, and uh, and the judge just jumped right straight to, to my mental competency and if I speak English and if I've had any legal training and blah 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 blah. So it's 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 uh, it's certainly been all about uh, the intentional conspired deprivation of due process in my case because I can't get uh, any motion hearings on the docket, and all of the motion hearings that are allowed to be scheduled are scheduled after the close of motions. Um, for the trying to bury this case, they're trying to bury me with these allegations, and it's just, it's just crazy. I, I now, I now put it, I put it all together. I, I apologize. I deal with a lot of people in a lot of places, and I'm now, I now placed you. The whole time, my brain is going. I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? And I, and now I remember. So you had called me from jail six months ago or almost a year ago and I was working with your working with your wife. November. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, close to a year ago. Anyways, um we were talking, you had called in, we had talked on the on the radio a couple of times or once I think and we we talked on the phone several times and then all of a sudden I never heard anything from anybody. And I didn't know I had no idea what was going on and nobody I nothing. And now uh, that's that's what uh, that's where I lost it. All of a sudden, there was just a complete disconnect, and then so now we're connected. So basically, what happened was you you made bail, and that's where I lost I, I lost track of what happened. I never heard from you guys. So so we got, we got a PR bond. We didn't make bail. Okay. Um, with, uh, he just let you out. Got it. Uh, 
get to do that. I, the, you're not the only one. There's There's been a number of cases. I think um, Diane Ferguson and, and her husband got um, in a case over a falsified card um, that yeah. was...
Hello, Craig. How's it going? Hello, Joe. I'm looking out the window here in Terre Haute, Indiana. It's 817 here in Indiana. And I'm noticing it's dusk outside. All the streetlights are on, and it's it's starting to get dark already. Yeah, yeah, we're coming into fall. It's uh, about three weeks away, and we're going to be uh, officially in autumn. Well, here's, here's living proof the days are getting shorter, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I'm noticing the same thing. It's, you know, we're, we're uh, a few a few latitude lines south of you, so we get dark earlier as as the days are going, you know, getting shorter, we get shorter faster, although you get longer days than we do, we get, we get shorter days faster, <laughs> so I was just on the phone with a guy calling me from county jail in uh, Michigan, and he was explaining, it was funny, he called me up earlier, and I couldn't place him, it, he sounded familiar, but I, I just couldn't figure out who he was, and then as I looked, um, I looked him up a little bit, and I remembered that he was um, he was in jail about nine months ago. And in Michigan, you know, they've got medical laws and they've got rules that say you can do certain things. But historically, they have um, they've interpreted that as they've seen fit, and they've locked people up and charged people and raided people, regardless of whether they were following laws or not. And many of the sheriffs and judges out there um, just kind of write their own laws. They do it the way they want. And he's he's in a situation where he's been locked up for 80 days and he hasn't been charged a specific crime. That's a call. That's from a settlement. They've just claimed that he violated some sort of vagary of a law, but his charges aren't specific. And so Every time he goes to court, and the problem is I think he's representing himself, and judges just hate it when you do that. And so I think part of it is like sort of a spite that happens when people try to represent themselves. He's a smart guy, and he knows a lot about the law, and he knows a lot about the rules of court. But the rules of court only apply when the judges decide to apply them. They don't, you know, all all the people that, that... like to represent themselves and claim the sovereignty and all that, they may be right, but being right doesn't necessarily matter. And that's the problem that people don't realize, that, you know, when you're in a courtroom, you're 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 in a different world. You're in a world ruled by a god that sits in a bench with a robe on and, and a gavel, and he gets to do whatever he wants until somebody overturns him. And oftentimes they kind of run him up. Now, one thing I have noticed about people who re- who represent themselves, all pro se in Latin, uh, for oneself, but one thing that I have noticed is the statistics on that. As much as uh, many people are lost and they make a whole lot of mistakes because they don't know the, you know, all the different procedures and all that, that you know, that um, take place in the court, but if you look at the statistics, they have a greater chance statistically of being acquitted than a person that's represented by an attorney, especially by one who's represented by a, a public defender. And I think that's just because they, they know the facts of their case, and they know the, the witnesses better than 
anybody. So, I mean, there's something to be said for a person who represents themselves and knows the case over a lawyer that just, you know, he really won't look at the case outside of putting in his time in the courtroom. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I, I tell people, you know, so many people, they think that, oh, I, I got a lawyer, so I'm okay. And what they don't realize is that lawyer doesn't give a damn about you, and that lawyer is only going to work as hard as you make him. And in my case, I, I I was at my lawyer's office three days a week sometimes, and I I was on top of everything. I called the witnesses. I, I, I put the case together, and I made sure he showed up and did what, you know, what my plan was. I didn't want to have to learn the rules of court. I didn't want to have to learn the evidentiary rules, and I didn't want to have to learn all that, but I knew my case. And, you know, it probably went as well as it could have gone. It would have gone a hell of a lot worse, I can assure you, if I would have not been a participating defendant, that's for sure. That's true, that's true. It's so sad here, as you know, I, I do a lot of legal writing and all that for the people here. And my, my cellmate, I don't know if you remember, in 2014, they lowered the uh, drug guidelines in the uh, for federal sentences, and a lot of people with drug sentences were entitled to a reduction in their sentence. Right. Well, my cellie was actually one of them, and they, and, uh, they appointed him a public defender who basically came up and got him the, the exact same sentence. It, it didn't help him at all. Well, we filed some paperwork and all that, and he's, he's probably going to be resentenced later this month. All right. His sentence is actually going to be reduced about 92 months. He's all right. Starting from 202 months. It's wow. That's almost cutting it in half. That's amazing. That the lawyers missed by just not paying attention to the cases. Well, and again, like you, like you were saying, uh, and, and I've always said, a lawyer is... A lawyer doesn't necessarily have your best interest in mind. Sometimes they might. I'm not saying that none of them do. But the bottom line is, and I tell people this every single time, if you lose your case and you get sentenced, you're the one that's going to go to prison, and the ju- or the lawyer and the judge and the bailiff and the prosecutor, they all go to work the next day. And they'll forget about you just like you weren't even there. It's unbelievable.
down there, the, the lawyer, you know, sent his representatives to auction off my business and, you know, and just basically collect his money, so to speak. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, it's just one more, one more thing that, uh, I, it, you know, it, it troubles me a lot that there aren't more people more upset about these sorts of things. You know, I look at the things people are upset about, and there's big things people are upset about, but these are things that could be changed, and these are things that could be changed a whole lot more than the general way people treat each other, and a whole lot more than the general way that, you know, people with power oppress people without power. Those are things that people are upset about right now, but they've always been upset about them. And it's always been wrong the way people have treated each other, but these are specific. And these are things that somebody, or hopefully a lot of people, could get upset enough about to change it. And that's that's where I get frustrated because people are, are so quick to, be upset about the general things in life, and they're upset about a person who's in office or or a series of, of people that are vaguely doing certain things, but not something that you can specifically really do something about. When, when you're talking about uh, problems that are happening in courtrooms, problems that are happening with, with lawyers, problems that are happening with, with individuals in a specific way, these are things that could be addressed and could be dealt with, and frankly, you don't ever hear about them, you know, ever. Yeah, now, one thing that, that I have seen, and I wish it would catch on elsewhere, is I, I believe it's the state of Washington, it could be the state of Oregon, but I think it's the state of Washington, uh, they lost so many lawsuits up there, they actually put together like a task force that follows behind criminal cases and criminal convictions and actually essentially audits the case to see if the defense uh, attorney did their job. So they actually look in, you know, into the case and see, you know, did the attorney really represent the guy, you know, according to really what the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution requires. And uh, I think that there needs to be a whole lot more accountability like that. Oh, I, I agree. And, and maybe, you know, if we can get, uh, you know, somebody can look that up and get a little more information about it, maybe, you know, even just talking about it uh, can cause something like that to happen. You know, part of what I'm talking about today is how how to build a team of exceptional people, how to build an A-team. You know, in, in any situation, there, there's probably one out of 100,000 people that ever rise up and really – Really dig in and do something. You know, everybody's looking for somebody that's willing to, to, to stick their neck out or, 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 or make the move or, or do the lead or whatever it is. And, and then, you know, half the people will wag their fingers at them and a few people will follow. But at the end of the day, it takes an exceptional person to really get out there and do something. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking – I got a pretty good little team, and I'm trying to make it a little bit bigger of people that are – Willing to dig in and do the work, willing to show up, willing to to treat this like it's important, willing to act like they really want it, and that's what I'm looking for right now. Now, one other thing I've noticed uh, newsworthy this week is that uh, at least in this part of the country, the prisons are having a whole lot of trouble with 
what they're calling K2 getting in the prison. And I believe it was Arkansas that in one day, five prisoners died there of overdosing on this, apparently. Yeah, that stuff systems, is crazy. That, apparently, the, right, apparently the inmates in uh, Ohio got a hold of whatever these chemicals are. And uh, the officers went to treat them, and it made, made a bunch of the officers sick just treating the inmates. So, I mean, it's really reaping havoc on the prisons. And uh, I keep having to make a stand here when people call it synthetic marijuana just to say that it has absolutely no link or anything to marijuana. Oh, I mean, no. marijuana should not be in that description at all. Yeah, it's straight chemicals. These are, these are synthetic chemicals that are... Uh, analogs and they're they change them all the time. So there's these they call them research chemicals, and they're they come out of China and the Ukraine and all different you know places, and they they sell them on the dark web. They sell them online, and uh, you know they stay like one step ahead of the DEA because they'll they'll change a molecule slightly, and then the DEA will figure it out and say, oh, this is illegal. And they'll ban it, and then they'll the chemists will get in there and they'll change one more molecule. And there, there's been this cat and mouse game for I don't know a dozen years or so that that I can remember. And then they take this crap and they sprinkle it on some plant material. That's why they call it synthetic marijuana because they spray it on something that you can smoke. That's the only thing that has any relationship whatsoever. They they've had articles that claim that there's some kind of synthetic cannabinoids, but they don't have anything to do with cannabinoids. And the sad part is that you should see what happens to these people that take this stuff. I've seen them. I mean, a lot of them, they're just on the ground. They're, a lot of them look like they're having seizures and things of that nature. And the sad part is they do it again. I can't even understand that. Hey, uh, Craig, that's your first beep. Or I don't know, that might have been your second beep. But I uh, just want to give you the heads up. Well, that was definitely the first beat, but uh, okay. I just want to, you know, uh, thank everybody for, you know, trying to shine a light on us behind the razor wire. Now, now that we're behind the razor wire in the dark. But, uh, but please, you know, keep the, please try to keep the spotlight on us and keep the, keep the push on the congressman. You know, look at marijuana, look at criminal laws, and look at why does a person get a life sentence for marijuana, but up to 15 years they're selling a nuclear bomb material? I mean, there's just so many problems with our laws that we need to look at. Our laws definitely need to be fixed, and our legislatures need, you know, people to push them to say there's something wrong. And there he goes. You know, again, this this. This has been an, uh, an odd show because um, we started it off, and I was already on the phone with a, with an inmate from Michigan. And as I've been talking about for the last, I don't know, almost 10 years, um, these places where they pass these laws, it just isn't what anybody thinks it's going to be. And I, I watch over and over good people that believe in the the rule of law and they believe in law and order and they believe in basically righteous things 
And they believe somewhat naively that if you simply pass a law, then you can let go of it, that you're done, that that's all you need to do. And I don't think most people pay attention to the substances of the laws that they're supporting. I don't think that most people <coughs> spend any time or enough time, I should say, really thinking about what they want and what's okay and what's not okay. You know, um, Ted's going to call back again likely pretty quick, and so I, I don't want to get on too much of a tangent. And I got Amy King um, calling in right now, and I want to talk to her. But I wonder this. We're all going to die, and we know that. There's no no way out of the of the binds of mortality. And when we die, something's going to happen. And a lot of folks believe that when you die, you will continue on in some fashion or another. And whether it's going up to white puffy clouds with angel wings and, and St. Peter at the gate or something else, I believe that there's reason for us being here. I don't believe in random I don't believe in random shit at all. I, I've, I've lived in random worlds, and random worlds tend to bring chaos, and what we're dealing with is absolutely not chaos, even if we make it chaotic. And at one point, let's just assume, for the sake of argument, that you are accountable for your actions. And you die sometime along the way. It might be early might be late, might be really late. And at one point you have to reckon for what you did. And I just have to wonder how many of us, upon being asked, what did you do with your life, would say, I followed the law. I wonder how many of us would even consider that in the things that we considered to be accomplishments with our lives or things that we consider to be failures. I wonder if the law has much to do with it at all. Not, when I think about what's important to me, and again, this is just my opinion. I happen to be the one sitting here at the helm of this show, and I get to spout my opinion. But my opinion is this. We do what we think is right, and what the law is has very little to do with that sometimes. Sometimes it has a lot to do with it, and some, some there's some good laws out there, but in many, 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 many cases, I think the law has absolutely nothing to do with what's right or what's wrong. We make judgment calls based on our morals and our values, and we know we, we we know these truths to be self-evident, as somebody famous once said. And I think we all know when we're doing something right. I think we all know when we're doing something wrong. And I and I know I don't know a single person that goes through their life and never breaks the law. And I have to wonder because it seems to be in vogue that some laws are cool to break and other ones aren't. Well, who gets to judge that? 
if the law is the thing, and the rule of law is the thing, then they all should be equal, right? But they're not. You ask anybody. You can go all the way to one extreme and talk about things like immigration and, and laws that should be ignored. And you go to the other extreme and you got things like drug laws. Oh, the law, we must follow the law. And I can't help but think that maybe there's some morals and values involved in some of this. So maybe the law has very little to do with it sometimes. And I had somebody over the weekend come out and um, we were talking about doing some business. And one of the things that this guy asked me, and I, I didn't know much about him, but he seemed to be pretty intelligent. And he seemed to be pretty articulate, and, and he seemed to understand a lot of things. And and he said, well, what, you know, what is your credentials, or what is your what is your layers of protection, or how, how can we validate, what's your transparency all about? And I said, well, I, I do what I do, and I do it well, and I'm working at, in some levels, getting some licensing for some things. But that's not what drives me. And I may or may not decide to, to continue pursuing that path. What I do is, is, is right and good and righteous. And I said, not everybody needs to work with me. And I said, if you don't understand that, you know, I went to jail four times, five times for pot. I got tried and convicted and I stood up and I fought it and beat it back and won. Most people who don't do that wouldn't have done that. And I didn't do it because the law of anything. I didn't give a damn about the law. The law was wrong, and I didn't do anything wrong, and I didn't hurt anybody, and it was worth fighting for. But it was about my freedom. And I didn't do what I did. I didn't run a dispensary, a collective. I didn't provide medicine for people because it was legal or not legal. I did it because it was what I do. It's what I've done forever, and it's what I'll probably do until I die. Hopefully, I don't go back to jail for it. That's not ever been my goal. That's not ever anything I, I desire to do. Been there, done that, don't want to go back. However, I don't believe that because you follow a certain pathway that gets you a piece of paper or gets you some tap on the on the head with the with the local authorities, or get some license that allows you to, to to rape the citizens because you've got to collect taxes now for the government. I don't believe that makes you better than anybody else, and I don't believe that somebody who just does it and makes it available, and the people that get it that need it can afford it. I don't believe that they're wrong. I don't think one has anything to do with the other, and. I explained it a little bit more passionately than I just did. And he looked at me and he says, oh, okay, I think I understand. And, and I talked to him about the nonprofit, about the human solution, and about how almost five years after my case I'm out here fighting every single day to end prohibition. And not because I have a case, not because I have a criminal record. I don't have either one of those anymore. But because it's the right thing to do. Because people like Ted and people like Craig and people like so many others that find themselves at a loss of property and a loss of of of, 
job and a loss of, of freedom because of this plant. I don't, I don't think under any circumstances that that's okay. And it troubles me that more people don't think that way. But that's what this show's about, building the A-team. I'm looking for a few people that do. I'm looking for a few people that care enough about ending prohibition, not about passing some silly law, not, not about passing something that falls short. I don't care about those things. I mean, yeah, whatever. It's better than nothing, sure, of course. If it helps some people, of course, it's better than not helping anybody. This isn't my argument. My argument is that some of us need to take it all the way. Some of us need to care enough about ending prohibition that we actually get it ended. And then it doesn't take a lot of people. It takes enough, a few people with some real guts, and that's what I'm looking for. Anyways, we've got Amy King, um, and she's got some good things to talk about. we got a lot of uh, callers, and i got a lot of crap to talk about. So we're going to keep plowing through, and uh, we're making decent time. My friend Amy just had a birthday yesterday, and um, happy birthday, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, thanks, Joe. I'm doing, I'm hungover, to be perfectly honest. Alcohol is poison. <laughs> I got it. I don't drink very yeah. often, but when I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, um, you know, it, it, alcohol is a funny thing. There was just an article or a, a news story today. Two cops in, I think it was Orange County, um, got got found passed out in their car drunk and and um you know I, I i couldn't help but wonder um oh this is the other inmate calling so we're going to go ahead and i hope i hope you have a few minutes to hang out um yeah, uh, this guy's calling from jail call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse the thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Hello, how's it going? I'm here. Ten visitors. Ten visitors back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, we are just talking about you. I, uh, Craig called in and, um, you know, I explained your situation to him. And he's serving a life sentence, um, you know, for pot, and um, it wasn't even for pot. He was a, a guy who had a, a truck repair company, and he was repairing trucks that were being used to smuggle, and um, he, everybody that got busted turned on each other, and um, Craig ended up serving the, the life sentence. Everybody else involved with that case has already been released. Wow. Yep. Yeah, welcome, wow. welcome. Where, where was that at? Um, well, was that? this was in Georgia and Indiana, um, and he's he's so current, it's a federal case. Yeah, it's a federal case. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's serving a life sentence right now. So, um, at very least, um, you know, as screwed up as Michigan is, it's it's probably not handing out life sentences. Um, hopefully, anyways. Not that they wouldn't want to. Well, yeah, let's hope. Anyways, uh, I was hoping to maybe drum up a little bit of support for my wife at home. She's struggling with an electric bill, but uh, I don't, I don't know if that's something that goes on here or not. I, um, you know, we, we uh, we're licensed by the state of Michigan to cultivate medical marijuana and to assist. 
actual sales. Um, and, and then the police is trying to you know, completing what they're calling a, a controlled purchase or controlled buy on top of what is already a controlled sale. So medical marijuana patients and practitioners and caregivers have a duty to ensure that uh, the people they interact with are properly licensed by the state of Michigan to, to operate lawfully in the medical use of marijuana. And I think for the most part, everybody is, is trying to do that. And um, I've seen more law-abiding citizens uh, participating in this um, and, and just getting completely hosed over because, you know, we're, we're applying for and paying for this program that's supposed to allow us to participate lawfully in the medical use of marijuana, and then we're, we're picking up charges for it. You know, and it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Well, I, um, I, I would be glad to uh, assist helping out your wife. Um, I, have her give me a call. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what we can do. Um, you know, if somebody had set up some kind of a fundraiser, we can we can help uh, promote it. Um, somebody has to, you know, take that. I don't really know much about those kind of things, about setting up those kind of fundraisers, but I know that um, it's fairly easy to do. Um, and I know that if the cause is correct and, and people are um, made aware of what, what's happening and, and happened, I I know that they're generous and and you know I've I've seen them come come forward. Um, that's not something that our organization can just you know dole out money. We don't. We're we're a volunteer organization. If we had any money, there'd be a thousand people pointing their fingers saying you stole that probably. So I right yeah. Got got to be careful with the money or people start getting squirrely. But meanwhile, um, raising money for somebody who needs it is certainly a worthy effort and, and we've done it before and, and you know it can it can it can be done fairly easily. So I, I would certainly be glad to help out. But I'd like to um maybe get a little bit more involved in, in you know the details of the case. I haven't spoken with Diane um and uh in a while but you know if she could reach Absolutely. out and and you know we've always been there. We used to have about five chapters of the human solution in Michigan and it all faded away when, when most of the cases went down and the people stopped fighting, you know, and or they stopped fighting their cases and they started fighting with each other. And uh, it just sort of that's horrible. Sort of sort of faded away and I, I watched about you know, it's probably about three, four years ago, I was out at Hash Bash and we had a we had a really large you know, group of people out there that were working together and working pretty well. And, um, you know, like I said, some of the major cases wound up and and all the people involved just, I don't know, I, it, it's amazing when there's not a dog in the fight, um, the will of the people seems to seems to wear thin. And I, I can't help but wonder, you know, what where's the people that really want to end this thing? When You know, it, it's ridiculous. You know, I know you talked about. Go ahead. Yeah, let me jump in here real quick. What what I'm bringing to the table here is the fact that Michigan prosecutors in all 83 Michigan counties have been prosecuting and charging and convicting and throwing people in prison without any criminal charges for the last 10 years. What what I'm bringing to the table hopefully will bring people together, will unite people, because there are people in prison right now that don't deserve to. 
stats from that. That if if I can get some some details with that from Diane or 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 uh, from your wife, um, you know, we could begin a media campaign about this. I mean, we can put together a press release. We can start to rally the troops. I, I need to get some you know some details, some stats, something that I can some that I can build up build upon and and make the case. Okay, well let me let me start uh, doing that right away. Um, um, do you have Danny's number? I I you know probably somewhere if you could give it to me I I'll, I got a pen right here. Okay, nine one eight two eight one five one one nine. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna give you another one here. Okay. Um, uh, this this is Guy and Tracy. Three six zero. They're out of Washington. Three six zero nine zero seven three seven three eight. And this is Guy and Tracy. Yeah, Guy and Tracy. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're all about the the court corruption and stuff. And and they've got a lot of this stuff already compiled for me because I was working for them before they came here. Okay. Before they got me again. Uh, the reason I'm in jail right now is because I'm very effective in my own defense. And, in fact, I'm so effective in my own defense, they had to put me back in jail with this new uh, bogus uh, charge, non-charge, uh, to, to keep me from defending myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm expecting I'll probably get out on uh, September 10th, just so you know, on a PR bond. Because I got a PR hearing that day. I've been here 28 days already in this stint and, and uh, 56 days from before. But then I, uh, a day and a half later, I have to come back um, because the, the court scheduled all of my motions to be heard on the same day after the close of motions, and that's going to be on September 12th. So they really don't want me to, to do anything functional in the courts. They know I've got this this this, um, this pinned out so perfectly that uh, that they, they just can't afford to have anything heard. It, it's so bad, in fact, Joe, that every has done, I've had cause to, to, um, to file an appeal for everything. I mean, the judge ordered me um, to sign a paper requesting the, the appointment of counsel. The, the, the judge brought a paper into the courtroom. His name is uh, Harry T. Gill. He brings a paper into the courtroom and orders me to sign it. I mean, it may as well have been a confession, right? I mean, who does that? So this judge orders me to sign a voluntary request for the appointment of counsel that I don't need. And then I spend the next two months um, uh, proving to the court why I shouldn't be found in criminal contempt of court and my bond revoked. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been that crazy. I mean, just off, off the wall, off the chart crazy. Um, so that's that nice to learn? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, okay. I, I'm just trying to give you the yeah. floor, yeah. So we got a Dropbox going. All this documentation is online. A lot of it's on my Facebook. Um, updates are being made all the time. Um, Guy and Tracy are excellent, uh, beautiful resource for, for this. And uh, um, like I said, I've shared a lot of this uh, prior to me being in captivity again uh, when I was still free. There's a Dropbox out there. He has access to the entire case file, everything that's been filed in there. Well, I will reach out to them and, and uh, hopefully gain access to that Dropbox. And, um, you know, it's, that's, that's the kind of thing that we can get behind. It's, it's, it's a obvious civil rights violations. It's obviously a, a, a breakdown of the justice system, and it's obviously something that needs to change. And 
not that we got bad lives. It's worse when they won't even follow them. Well, I, I think this, this case has particular importance because I've brought to the table something nobody's brought to the table before in that Michigan um, prosecutors have been doing this wrong since the Medical Marijuana Act was enacted in 2008, which is now a decade. So courts all across Michigan have been prosecuting people like this without actual criminal charges, Joe, and, and all of these cases are, are subject to review, and these prisoners are subject to be released. And, and if folks can't get behind this, uh, you know, at this point, in this stage of the, the uh, you know, the, 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 our, our judiciary is just falling apart. And, 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 if, and if people can't get behind this here right now, then, then I would just say it, it's probably too late. You know, we just need to start looking for another country. <laughs> I, I, I'm not one to give up. I, I'm one to, to dig even harder. So I, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I like this country. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. And and uh, if, if we have to fix it, then to hell with it. We'll fix it. <laughs> well, we we got to try, and I really do think that this, this has the potential to have a lot of prisoners freed here in Michigan. Well, that's what we and, need to do. Give Michigan a big black eye for, for being a booger uh, and, and, and a stickler on this, and, they, and they, they're way out of contact. You know, the, the, the reason it's not been caught, Joe, is because a, a lawyer, an attorney might make $50 to point out to the court that a defendant hasn't been properly charged according to Michigan uh, Court Rule 6.101, $50 charge. Well, if, the, if that lawyer ignores it, um, they can make $50,000 defending a criminal defendant that, that doesn't even that they were facing a real criminal charge. See, it's all about greed. Oh, I, I, I completely understand. I, I... I spent six years in the in the justice system, and I watched one minute left. everything I worked for in my life disappear. So you got one minute left, um, and I think we've got at least a place to start. And uh, you know, I got a team of some pretty good folks that if we can inspire them with something that's got some teeth, which it looks like this does, uh, maybe we can bring it to life. Well, that's what needs to happen, Joe, and I, I love what you do, bro, and I appreciate you for being out there for folks like us that sitting here uh, staring at the concrete walls all day, and, uh, and it's really great to, to be able to reach out and <laughs> feel the real world, even if it's just for you know, a few minutes. But uh, thanks again for what you've done, and if you need anything, you've got Danny's number and Guy's number, and uh, yeah, let's just let's just make this what it should be and start start getting some things fixed. Absolutely. I will reach out and uh, appreciate you checking in, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking more. And, um, okay. you know, I, I know those concrete walls, and I, that's, part, that's, that's part of why I do this, folks. Um, you know, it's one of these things. I, if, you've, if you've ever been locked up for something you deserved, which I haven't, so I don't know what that feels like, I'm sure it probably sucks. It probably sucks a lot. But if it's for something that you did and and it makes sense for you to be locked up for it, it probably just sucks and you bide your time and, and, and get it over with. But when you get locked up for something that you shouldn't be locked up for, something that 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 shouldn't even be a crime, it's it's unsettling. It's unsettling to the core. It's un it's unsettling on on a on an electrical level it's un, it's unsettling in, in a in a way that disturbs the the nuclei of my cells and that disturbance never went away 
and as much as it's been now six years since I've been locked up, which thank God and hopefully it'll, you know, never happen again, but I remember it like it was yesterday, and I still have, I don't know, a hundred pages of letters that I wrote that I never opened up. They're still sitting in a file cabinet unopened because that was that was the reality of the time. And one day maybe I'll open them up. Maybe I won't. But I remember it like it was yesterday, and I remember that this needs to change. And, and I've come aware that it's not going to change itself. And it's going to take some exceptional people to come up together and put their egos outside and walk into the room and say, you know what, let's do something bigger than ourselves. Let's do something bigger than I can do by myself. Let's do something bigger than we all can do by ourselves. And let's make this world better in a, in a profound way. We can do it. You know, come and tell me one thing we can't do. You just show me the thing we can't do, and I'll show you how you're wrong. Okay? I mean, obviously, I, there's laws of physics, but, I mean, outside of that, what can't we do as a society? What can't we do? We can't do anything if we don't want it, and I want it. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the people that do. I think Amy does. So we're going to bring Amy back up. Amy, welcome back. And I think you want it, so uh, let's, uh, let's see what you have to say today. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I mean, you're so right on um, on so many levels. When when we're arrested, detained, incarcerated, um, and then subsequently convicted in such unfair, unjustified ways, it, it makes everything that much more painful for us. Um, because I mean, it goes against everything that we've been we've been brought up to know and believe about our country, and so it's oh, disturbing. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and the thing that that blows me away is good people through ignorance alone, and and and, and ignorance has nothing to do with intelligence, and ignorance has nothing to do with with, with knowledge. Ignorance has to do with awareness, and most people are just frankly ignorant to how things really are in the world and in the country and in your local jurisdiction that you're in. Most people are ignorant to how things really are, and and I think that's really the core of our problem here. I think that's actually what, what we need to focus on is enlightening people about the truth, about what's really going on. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else that we're lacking. We're we're lacking good, strong attorneys to help us, unified with us in these cases that we come across. I sent you an article today about a guy, you know, his arrest was 23 years ago in New York. Yeah, it, was, it was a large. It, it was a large transport transport bus, but I mean, come on, the guy is sick now. He's not been in trouble in 20-some-odd years, 
really how, how detrimental is he to the community. And I say that because um, in California today, or an article I was reading, is there was a, uh, an actor from the 40-year-old virgin movie stabbed his girlfriend 20 times with first with wow. a big knife. Do you, do you remember this this story? Vaguely. He's like, uh, he well he's um, he was sentenced. The woman didn't die, but I mean like he almost cut off her chin. And this isn't an alcohol induced rage. This is um, his own words was that he became an alcoholic because uh, acting had gone downhill and he wasn't he was unemployed and, and became an alcoholic and found her, his girlfriend, and him having problems. She was sitting on the porch having uh, a coffee or something with another guy, and he just flew into a rage, came up like he was going to kiss her and stabbed her in the heart. When the guy went to oh. defend her, I guess a wine glass got broke. He used that wine glass to then stab her 20 times. He was uh. sentenced 9 to 12 years. He came up for parole in January. Them, I didn't try to hurt her. I tried to murder her. He said that at the parole hearing. The parole was granted. The parole board wow. said that a low threat if he avoids using alcohol. Governor Brown intervened and asked the parole board to reconsider. Um, he couldn't actually stop the parole. Um, from happening because there wasn't a murder involved, which is the only time the governor's allowed to revoke parole. But yeah, they're letting this guy out on the street. And so, you know, we yeah, see this I, type I of. This yeah, you know, that was one of the few things that I've seen Governor Brown do that I say you're not just a ridiculous old man. But uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's insane. In California, we had a judge that got recalled because. He refused to sentence the guy that raped the girl behind the dumpster um, in, a, in a reasonable way. You know, and this, this little rich college kid got away with the most heinous act, and yet Craig Cecil sits in Terre Haute, Indiana for life without a victim. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. And, and so it goes back to a couple of things. Lawyers, we really need to find a, some champions who, if they're not able to practice in the, in the state of which we have an issue, can actually be willing to work with an attorney in that state who will, who will see that things are done correctly. Like in Michigan, you have this situation where, and this is not the first time that I've heard this, we have the same thing in Texas, where they were charged with a statute that didn't even include cannabis. Um, so they, they do you know, bend the rules and twist the law for people who aren't suspecting. And even if you tell an attorney this thing, they're like, you know, I need 25000 or $30 to represent you. And and that's not how the justice system is supposed to work. Um, so speaking of crowdfunding, um, I'm not sure if everybody's aware that there's actually a site called Funded Justice. And this was started by lawyers. Um, specifically for um, felony complaints, because I think that, that you run into problems on the standard, typical um, crowdfunding sites where that there's a felony involved. So funded justice 
um, stepped in to fill in that void. And I was just looking through here. You can do a search, and I did a search searching for cannabis. Um, and there are nine campaigns, varying campaigns, local business rated, jailed for helping sick with medical cannabis oil. So we see Washington, D.C., Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, there's one from B.C., Canada, and um, Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, Red Bluff, California, West Orange, New Jersey. Anyways, um, the thing about uh, what tends to happen also I see in these cases when we're trying to raise money for legal defense, people don't step up. Um, all of these, the one that's here that's raised the most money, the most money they've raised is $1,300. It's been running for 63 weeks. It's only oh raised 1000 Yeah, you know, um, the rest of them raised $50, 31 weeks running. Uh, raised wow. $30, 86 weeks running. Um, we, we just don't do enough inside. I mean, I know most of the people we work with and that, that you know, listen to us are, are low, low income, have, have chronic either health problems or even legal problems, and then funds tight. But somehow we've got to find a way to band together and, and improve the outcomes in these matters. Um, well, you know, I got an idea, and this is something that I, I raised about a year ago, and I've been raising it for the last, I don't know, I, I, I stopped talking about it regularly, but I put the call out to any licensed legal uh, cannabis business, and my, I, I invited them to come on the show, and I invited them to uh, talk to us about their thoughts on ending prohibition or, or what they were willing to do or what they have done or what they do. And not one – I had one call in, and she actually is a is a good person. I know her personally, and she has a little dispensary up in Ojai, and, and she's helping out the prisoners um, with their art. She works with Dee Dee Kirkwood, and she's a sweetheart. And she was the one, the one. And I, and I thought to myself, out of the, the millions and millions of dollars being made, in these quote-unquote legal enterprises, I just can't fathom that we couldn't tap into that, either by being nice and pleasant and saying, hey, can you do the right thing, or by boycotting these guys. There's there's plenty of opportunities for anybody who needs what they need to get it from wherever they need to. Um, I just can't imagine that, you know, there's not resources out there that could be directed, um, you know, towards something like this, but not once. Not one place in, in, in Washington or Oregon or California or Colorado or D.C. or any of the places that are emerging, not one. Right. And, and the, all we need, if you count the thousands of dispensaries, the thousands of cultivation facilities, um, you know, any of the ancillary businesses, for half a percent of their operating budget, half a percent, a massive purse that would teach colleges to rest. Because I talk about it like this, 
what we're talking about it in a case in Georgia that, that happened this, uh, just yesterday. Family, a man was convicted for, he pled guilty, excuse me, pled guilty to cultivating, uh, to manufacturing medicine for his dying wife. She did the cultivation and he manufactured it into an oil. He pled guilty. And they, you know, so we're talking about it and it's like the problem is people hire lawyers because they're in a pickle. You get the first person in that is we don't ask the right questions. We don't ask, are you a trial lawyer? Um, the, you know, the well, second you know, thing about that. I've had a few lawyers over the years, and this is going back about 10 years, and I can think of, of a lawyer in California that was championing a bunch of causes, but turned out he was real flaky and he didn't show up to a lot of things, and he ended up leaving us hanging on a number of cases. There was another lawyer um, that actually represented my co-defendant, and she did some brilliant work, but then she turned in to be one of these people that charge you $50,000 or $10,000 to file a motion and, you know, $100,000 to file a case. And then we got this guy in uh, Florida that was doing a lot of good work, and I haven't heard a word from him in a while. I think he's still doing good work. And then you got, I mean, you know, there have been, lawyers that will step up and do some good work, but it's been historically inconsistent. And, you know, I, I can understand that a lawyer can't just work for free, and I agree that we need to maybe, you know, after the Kyler character case a few years back, um, and we were working on putting together a, um, a group of lawyers that were willing to uh, work together and, and that we could raise funds for them using our nonprofit or other nonprofits to, to be a vehicle for that. And it fell apart before it ever got started. Um, I, I I know that there's there's a way to do this, but it just seems that to get people to stay the course when the, when it when it gets past the idea phase, when it gets past the let's just talk about it phase, um, it just seems like I don't. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, that's kind of what the call of the show is today: is to, uh, you know, raise up the people that are willing to come to work and treat this like like it's important. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I, I guess there's uh, a couple of things we could do. You know, um, maybe uh, hold workshops. I know um, can hold workshops on what to do if your business is rated. Maybe that might be something we could put together, a training package that these dispensaries or manufacturing cultivation operations. Um, we see a, a value for the service, and that money can go into um, this pretty fund. Um, again, a, a couple of things that we run into is that we see people get, they get arrested, they get into situations, the lawyers are misleading them or misguiding them. Um, people get tired. They're tired of the stress, tired of the money. You you stuck it out, Joe. You you, you knew and, and you were willing to take it all away. And people, uh, attorneys encourage them, hey, this is a good deal. The, 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 the prosecutor, this is the best deal you're going to get. I really suggest you take it. But it's not the case for them. It's about just resolving it. Um, right. and, and so a couple of things about that, um, I, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. 
we need to stop waiving our rights to speedy trials right at the very beginning. There's no motivation. Sure. There's no motivation for the lawyer to get it done. Um, there's no pressure on the prosecution to actually prove that they have a case against you. You know, uh, we'll get with you between us in this court support system, we'll get the experts that you need. We'll bring that to the table. Get to the trial. Oh, absolutely. Well, listen, uh, Amy, I wanted to talk to you about this project. Now, one of the things I've been talking about for years now, and I mean, even since before we had our 501c3, it was kind of the the focal point of, of us acting as a, as a group. We started out as a coalition, and we've been building teams, building alliances, building coalitions ever since. And we agreed that we were going to work on this little project about outing the prison labor being used as a resource, the companies that are using it, um, the, the, all the details about it. And uh, we put together a group document, a shared document, and uh, I'm sitting here on this document right now, and there's a dozen um, or more articles that have been referenced already. And I just want to do a quick um, little read-through of this, and I want to talk about um, building this into something that we can really bring out to the world um, in the form of a, of a press release and, and subsequent articles. Um, and who knows where we can go from it. But this is just some of the salient points. No employment taxes are paid. They get away with this because of Section 26 U.S.C. 3306 C21 of the tax code states that any service performed in a penal institute isn't considered employment. Go figure. You know, if you've ever been a, an employer and um, you look at the difference between um, having 1099 contract workers or employees, um, it's 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 brutal to think how much it costs you to have employees. You almost have to match their salary in, in, in payroll taxes. And here it is. Um, you don't have to pay them if you if you get prison labor. Um, and and there's some articles that are that are put up here as far as um, the pay scales and and all of that. And as this gets more laid out, I'll, I'll read more about it. Um, but here's a list of companies that do use um, prison labor in some fashion. And we have Anderson Hardwood Floors. Um, and there's an article here from the Prison Legal News, which is a, a, a great organization. Um, and they, um, I actually advertised in there a few years back for a project at one point. Walmart uses contract companies that use inmate labors to dispose of customer returns and excess inventory. I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with Walmart for a lot of reasons. Um, anybody that's working with prison labor, we really have to consider, is this something that I want to support? McDonald's. McDonald's purchases a plethora of goods produced in jail, including plastic cutlery containers and uniforms. There's a lot of uniforms uh, that are made in the prison setting. I know Craig, I think, uh, works in a uniform company, and they make some kind of military uniforms for some Eastern Bloc country. Um, but that's, that's one of the things. McDonald's, Starbucks uses prison workers to package their goods. Everybody loves their Starbucks, but um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm planning on going back.
American Airlines, inmates working in their call centers taking reservations. Oh. Now, that's, that's oh. pretty brutal. I mean, one of the, the issues that you have being incarcerated is your contact with the outside world. And imagine going in there, having a job where you get to talk to people like you're on the outside, and then you get hauled back to your cell yeah, at the cool. end of every shift. I don't know that I can deal with that. Um, they got Bank of America listed. However, it doesn't say what they're using. Bayer has been listed, but I don't have any information. Cargill began in 2007 and currently employs nine inmates each day on average. The inmates in the program are learning real-world job skills as they package animal feed. You know, if, if, if packaging animal feed is considered real-world job skills, I think that we need to reconsider our definition of real-world job skills. Um, the other companies listed are Caterpillar, Chevron, Chrysler, Costco. Ah, God, not Costco. Not Costco. John Deere, Eli Lilly, Exxon Mobil. We've got a lot of uh, uh, oil companies. GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson and Johnson, Kmart, uh, Coke Industries, Merck, Microsoft, Motorola, Nintendo, Pfizer, Procter and Gamble, Pepsi, Conagra Foods, Shell, UPS, Verizon. And Wendy's. And if you look at some of these things, you'll notice the common thread. You've got chemical companies and oil companies. Um, you know, we said all along the nature of prohibition came out of some of these very same companies being threatened by this plant in, in a campaign of, of, of deception and, and lies and, and um, you know, preying on the, the fears and hatred. And here it is, the same people in bed now with the prison industry. You know, people talk about the prison industrial complex, and then you start looking at this, and it starts to paint a real picture. You know, you can sit out there, you know, in an in a, in a angry uh, protest and people talking about general vague words like the prison industrial complex, but if you actually um, have been locked up and you see even a county jail, it's an it's a individual city in this place, and it has its own power source. It has its own laundry. It has its own food services. It's, it's its own individual city, and larger prisons are even worse. And when they have an industry built into it, it is absolutely an industrial complex. And when you look at the, at the, the, the web of influences that are connected to it, you've got the prison guards union. You've got um, all of these various companies that are getting virtually – free labor, it may not be free, but in comparison even to third world countries, it's, it's just this side of free with none of the tariffs. Um, so anyways, what's happened is, is um, Amy and myself and, and the team at the Human Solution have decided we're, we're going to dig deeper into this and we're going to um, be working on this document until we're able to fashion a good, um, a good article out of it. And... Um, you know, what are your thoughts on this, Amy? I, I don't know how much of this you've contributed, but um, I know that uh, you've, you've, you've been on the document, and uh, there's a lot a lot of information coming up here. Yeah, sure. It's interesting you talk about the no employment taxes are paid um, because uh, service performed in a penal institution isn't considered employment, but companies receive tax credits for using inmate labor. So it's, uh, they win all the way around. Um, and um, I think that there are some good examples where, where we could show 
um, what companies we're, we're getting. And the reason that we have a lot of companies listed but no, no clear idea on how that's working, um, the one that's famous that everybody had mostly, uh, most of people had heard of was Victoria's Secrets was using um, prison labor. And they got so much bad press over that that um, the state and the federal prison of the Bureau of Prisons had to rethink how, how people could find out that information, which is why we're now starting to see the contracting companies um, or the state links, like um, you know, down further on that sheet where I put all the state programs, everything is kind of hidden under there. The company negotiates with that. If the state protects their privacy, so you really don't know. Now, you can um, go into these state links, and, and you can look at um, what kind of products each state is putting out. I'm trying to – I mean, I don't have all 50 yet. I'm, I'm making a, I've made a pretty good dent in it, so. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming along pretty well, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so we can go in, depending on whatever your, our, our listeners or whoever our, our, our audience is on this as we put this out, we'll be able to guide them to go investigate their own state, find out how their state is running this program. Is it really benefiting in real life examples? Are, is there less recidivism in the state because of these programs? Because Every, it, it, there has to be measurements on it. You can't just use these programs um, and use the prisoners without giving them actual hope when they come out. I and mean, we've seen this with the fires, the, the, the use of prison labor, fighting the fires there in California, in Oregon, in Florida. I had two cousins in prison in Florida. Um, one was used as a firefighter. Interestingly, so my three my three cousins are, are, are boys. Um, one is an actual firefighter in Manatee County in Florida. My one cousin was in prison and went out as a, as an unpaid firefighter fighting wildfires in Florida. But when he got released from prison, he could become a firefighter. So wow. no, I don't. I, I see no reason that we should be using prison labor to handle these types of technical um, positions, positions of danger, and then when they come out, they're not better for it. He didn't get, he didn't get offered a job through the state of Florida's rehabilitation program that would allow him to become a firefighter. And, and that's where we have these failures. So that's what needs to change um, as well. Even if we can't shame um, companies, necessarily for their products. We need to, to really uh, um, have these conversations with our elected officials. You know, families struggle. When their one is in jail, it's a financial burden on the whole family. You either have to abandon your loved one and tell them good luck, or it's just a financial burden. The cost of talking to them, the cost of having, you know, the extras that they need while they're in there, uh, because the food's not palatable, because it's really not enough for a grown man or a grown woman. Uh, you have a lot of time on your hands here, you know, wanting to snack or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's a burden. It's a financial burden. And 
and then to, for them to come out and still have to check the box that they're a felon is a hindrance. So we want to highlight what's wrong with us. If, it, if it's going wrong in the state, now I'm not saying all state programs are bad. I, I don't know that. As we dive into that, that's what we're going to, you know, try and ascertain. But it isn't right that that uh, you spend 15 years working in a slave shop in, in prison and come out and you don't have any social security benefits established. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that I think is if we can get people to care enough about something to take an action, I think we can make a difference. And a lot of times people just either they don't think that their action is going to count or you know, they cry about, oh, I did this, and nobody thinks it's enough. But Becca brought to my attention um, something that happened a few years back, and this is about um, Kratom. And if anybody knows about Kratom, it's, a, it's an herb that is being used for a lot of things, including helping people get off of opiates. And it's, it's an herb that they certainly don't know enough, as much about as they know about cannabis, but um, back in 2016, the DEA tried to uh, place some of the compounds in it on uh, Schedule 1. And there was a public backlash. And it even brought together uh, a, a group of, of advocacy groups and there's a number of them that got together and they, they put a petition together with over 100,000 signatures. Um, and I'm sure it was an actual petition, not not just a, a an online petition, but any any show of solidarity makes, makes a difference. And then on October 13, 2016, the DEA announced that it would withdraw its intent to temporarily schedule these two compounds because of numerous comments from the public, including comments offering their opinions regarding the pharmacological effects of these substances, citing the need to consider these statements and provide an opportunity to receive further comments. And they set a deadline of December 1st, uh, 2016 for submitting additional comments, and they got 23,000 of them during during that comment period. And it just shows that if we get on it, now we're already Schedule 1, so we have to undo something that's already been done. But the bottom line is, is when enough people dig in and start doing something about it, we can actually, they will respond. And they have responded, and they'll continue to respond. And I just think that we don't put up enough of, of, a, of a unified effort. We don't show ourselves as one force. We have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of little splinters that, that are like little sparks that go off and and, and good people that, that are passionate and motivated but for whatever reason don't seem to play well with others. Um, we, we get these little, little sparklers out there all over the place where we could put ourselves all together and have one earth-moving event and I think that that's what we need to consider. So I think that this prison labor project, hopefully, is something that we can get enough people to care about. Um, and as we articulate this a little bit clearer and 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 more of a of a co cohesive 
article comes out of it, I think we can start to bring people together and start to, um, you know, maybe start acting with a little public sentiment. Exactly. I mean, like, again, yes, things that people can do and take action on is, is the purpose of this project, uh, to try and identify ways um, that we can boycott these products or put the pressure on um, for, for, if nothing else, even better wages, um, benefits, employment benefits. And, you know, maybe that might be um, a start. I think we should have contributions across the board, no matter whether it's five years or ten years or whatever the sentence may be. Um, but maybe that's just even getting where, at, for the last two years of your participation in a work program, these work credits go towards your Social Security. Sure. Uh, no, there's absolutely, yeah. you know, the thing that, that sucks is when they abolished slavery, they didn't abolish it in the penal system. And so, essentially, um, people that are incarcerated are considered to be slaves. And that's just the way it is. It, it was never, we never fixed that. And I think that maybe that should be addressed even, that, that even though somebody's locked up, it doesn't mean that you are considered to be less than human, that, doesn't, that, that you aren't, you're still a human being, even if you're locked up and, 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 and serving a, a sentence. Well, listen, Amy, um, I, I'm running low on time. I, I keep burning up these two-hour shows, and I've still got a lot of, of people to, to get on board. But um, I absolutely appreciate you coming on, and I'm excited about this program. I think that it, it's something that is easily done, and if somebody wants to get involved, contact me. Um, we do a, a conference call every Tuesday and Thursday morning, and we can include uh, uh, this project into the call. And uh, we can schedule it, even if you've got some time in a specific time. Uh, we can share you, share the document with you and, and get you engaged. So I, I, appreciate, um, I appreciate that, uh, uh, that you are helping make this happen. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to building it and making it something that we can all get behind. Me too, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation, as always. All right, Amy. Well, folks, Amy King, she's a, a warrior and a scholar, and um, she's involved in so many things. She's behind a lot of good stuff you see in a lot of good places. All right. Take care, Joe. Talk to you later. Right, you, you bet. All right, folks. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit about, again, legalization. Um, in California, we passed a law couple of years back, and it allows for legal dispensaries. And I got this postcard here, and uh, it talks about, this is, this is from a legal dispensary, and it's called the Higher Path, and I'm just going to read this. Oh, and also, just for anybody who's listening and watching, there's some really toxic people that are spouting some shit again. We put those things to rest a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's no more time for talking about that. If you want to call me up personally and address something, 
312. That's my phone number. Or you can come out and talk to me in person. Um, but to just go spouting on, on public um, Facebook or whatever, forget about it. That's not that's no longer an option. All right. So the higher path. It says here, you are supporting a get legal dispensary. That's get L dash L dot E dot G dot A dot L. Some some um, acronym. When you don't shop legal, you're breaking the law. And this is says on here, report illegal shops from the Los Angeles Department of Cannabis Regulation. Report illegal shops. For more information, visit the Higher Path. Illegal shops have no reason. Okay, this is what it says here. Why should you avoid non-compliant cannabis shops? Illegal shops have no reason to follow local and state laws written for your protection. Really? They're written for my protection. Okay. Well, I disagree with that. Therefore, do not comply with any HIPAA regulations to keep your information from being leaked or sold. This has resulted in 200 identity theft reports in this year alone. 200 identity theft reports. How many did Target, uh, when they got breached, thousands and thousands? Wells How Fargo. many did Wells Fargo, uh, thousands and thousands? How many? Go over and over again. Your identity is more at risk of, of you putting an uh, ATM card in the gas station than from a dispensary. So that's just crap. The fact that they even use that's ridiculous and disturbing. If you are caught purchasing from a delivery service or illegal shop, you can be charged with a misdemeanor for participating in an illegal drug transaction. At this point, police legally have the right to search you. This includes anything on your person, in your apartment, even in your car. In your apartment? What if you own a house? Mm-hmm. What do you mean in your apartment? Uh, How dare you? Mm-hmm. Illegal shops can be raided at any time. Anyone caught on the premises, including employees and customers, may be charged with a misdemeanor. The police department has recently been known to go undercover during delivery service transactions. Signs of an illegal shop. Open past 10 p.m. The legal hours for a dispensary are 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Any delivery service transaction is considered illegal in the city of Los Angeles. On-site consumption is not allowed. It cannot be consumed anywhere cannabis can be sold. So if they've got a dab bar in the dispensary, it definitely is not legal. They don't pay their taxes. That's what this is actually about. Did you get a receipt for your transaction? It should show that taxes were included. If taxes aren't listed, they don't give you a receipt at all. Chances are they aren't paying them. That's what this is actually about. I, I, I don't even know what to say. If you think that in some way, shape, or form that these laws are here to protect us, you show me one case, one case where anybody <coughs> has gotten sick or died because there wasn't these regulations. Next week we're going to have a guest that's going to talk about why it should be regulated. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what this person has to say. Because I see no reason for a single regulation when it comes to the cannabis plant. And I welcome anybody to come on and talk about it. And the crazy people that are spouting on Facebook, call in. Come on. 
Oh, they can't because they've been shut off. Don't just spout <laughs> on Facebook. You guys are sick. Chicken. Just sick. All right. Uh, we got Pete Yapel. We're quickly running out of time. I don't see Tom Corby. I don't know where Tom Corby went. Pete, you're live on the air. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Joe. How you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. Excellent. Hey, listen, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more with the theme of this, the way the show is going tonight because it kind of goes along with uh, the way Helen and I uh, believe that – listen, we live by a Gandhi statement. You know, we have to live the change we wish to see. So if, if, if I believe – if I sit back and give validity to my life having no value and cannabis being an illegal substance – then I'm giving in to everything that keeps me alive. So if, if I also want cannabis to be as free as a maple tree, uh, I, I can't very well uh, live uh, live limited. I, I mean, we can't always talk the talk if we don't want to live the you know live and walk the walk. Uh, I, I mean, and that comes with action too. But uh, that just means treating. You know, I mean, people in America uh, have to choose whether they're whether they, within the word of the law, can take care of themselves and give themselves help or give themselves quality of life, or in a lot of cases, save their life. And we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be determined about amounts. Again, like you were saying before, like when you were saying earlier that, uh, you know, uh, we all, you know, if we can't see at the end of the day or at the end of our time, you know, going, well, did I live within the, the law? We all break the law. Every human being, unless you are a vegetable from the time you were born, has broken a law. Tell me no one's going a mile over the speed limit. That's a law, okay? We can't determine what laws are okay to break and what ones are, are not okay to break if we're going to be critical of it. You know, we can't say, oh, well, the cannabis, pe- the cannabis person is breaking the law because that's a drug. I mean, if I'm not hurting anyone going 32 miles an hour. Well, they're not hurting anyone selling cannabis, manufacturing cannabis, growing cannabis, using cannabis. Cannabis has never hurt anyone. So, again, they're not doing anything wrong just like you aren't doing anything wrong going 31 miles an hour. So don't judge. The guy with 30 grams of, uh, 30 grams of cannabis can walk around the city of New York now, uh, Joe, and smoke a cannabis cigarette without being arrested. But if you have 31 grams in your pocket, you are a felon. What's a gram of cannabis, man? What's the gram difference that makes somebody a good person or a bad person? What's the, what's the gram difference? I'll tell you what the gram difference is. It could be life in jail without the possibility of parole versus walking down the street smoking a joint happily. But why should I have to carry 30 grams? I like 31 grams. 31 grams is my favorite number. As of yesterday. So I, I, I just don't get it. You know, I, I just don't get it. And again, yeah, guys, listen, at the Human Solution, I, I told Jen Atkinson yesterday after our show where we all got involved, and congratulations to four out of the five winners of on the patient's walls, uh, chance to win a trip to Florida. We're all THSI, uh, or four out of the five were THSI members, including Joe. <laughs> Who did win a chance? So uh, uh, it was great to have that on. I hope we get some memberships out of that. Again, I'm matching membership donations from my show last night until midnight on Friday. 
so you know, let's drum up, let's drum up some excitement, guys. Get involved. It's all volunteer, but we have fun. Our phone calls again, like Joe said. You know, you can join us on them. You can hear what we got going on. We don't have secrets. You know, we're just trying to make change and trying to do the right thing. And we just again need good people, not 50 million people that just want to say they're involved. We need good people that are willing to work. Well, I couldn't agree more. And uh, Pete, if you've got uh, somebody that wants to come out and work with you in uh, New York, uh, how would they reach you? They can call me at 845-522-3162. They can uh, go to our Facebook page, Solidarity Over Separation, the New York chapter of the Human Solutions, if they need any help. And also, they can obviously reach us at our website, www.canawetalk420.com. Excellent. All right, Pete, always a pleasure, and uh, we're going to keep on going. Pete is a force to be reckoned with, and he's uh, working on not running around in circles. He's focusing and getting it done. I've never seen a man that has so much energy as Pete Yapel, and uh, he gets it. So we're, we're glad to have him with us as always. All right, we got about 15 minutes left, and um, unless Tom Corby comes on, uh, we got Creed Leffler, and he's got a little something he wants to say. But I got a couple of um, tidbits I want to get out. We got, um, uh, you know, this 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 show is uh, a podcast, and you know we welcome participation, and. Um, we talk about community, and we talk about um, dividing, and we talk about energy. We talk about this show is about the A-Team. We're talking about the exceptional people that do exceptional things. And there's a number of ways that, that people can be exceptional. There are some certain acts that somebody can do that will be a forever act. I've had people do them for me, exceptional things that were so profound that if that person never did another thing again, they would still be an exceptional person because that one time or that series of times or that one series of events, they were there and they were there in such a way that was uh, profound. And again, I'm speaking my own opinion is not anything that's, that's backed by law or anything like that, but it's just what I've noticed. And then there are people that have integrity and they show up again and again and again and again. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the climate is. It doesn't matter what people are saying or liking or not liking. It doesn't matter if what's happening is interesting or difficult, or complicated, or simple. They're just always there. And when there's something that's needed, they figure it out, and they do it, they get it done. Those are exceptional people. Those are sometimes the hardest to find. When, when a traumatic act happens, we react. We don't necessarily know how we're going to react. People always say, oh, yeah. If somebody pulled a gun on me, this is what I'd do. I'll tell you what. I've had guns pulled on me, and most people don't do what you think they're going to do or what they think they're going to do. People do what their instinct tells them. When a fire breaks out, most people run the fuck away. 
could be something really traumatic happens. Most people go, phew, feet don't fail me now, and they book. And some people put their helmet on, they strap their boots up, and they march towards it. And they say, what do we need to do? And those are the people I'm looking for. There aren't a lot of them. It's a very small number. Now, I'm not here to say, and I'm not here to judge, again, anything you do is better than not doing anything. That's the given. But when you do something, does that make you exceptional? Yeah, to a degree, of course it does. But I'm wondering, have we dropped the bar so low that any act, I picked up a piece of paper and I put it down, whoa, I did something. I typed a letter, I made a phone call, I did something. Is that is that so exceptional that we need accolades for it? Or 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 is that an ego driven thing? Is it something that, that all of a sudden, you know, there's gotta be acknowledgement for crap. Most of the work that gets done gets done behind the scenes. Most of it. Most of the people that do most of the work are sick, are hurting, are fucked up in multiple ways, most of the people, there are very few people that I know, maybe they're out there, but I don't know them, that are together, wholesome, have a decent way of life, they've got everything going on, and they're still out there helping, not a lot of them, most of the people doing most of the work are severely damaged in so many ways, and they still show up. And maybe there's something about being severely damaged that allows us to see outside of ourselves, that allows us to see the world as not about us. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I'm looking for the exceptional people. Desire. Desire is the fuel that makes things happen. And I mentioned this yesterday on Pete's show, and I'm going to mention it again now. I listened to some speakers speaking about these things the other day, and it struck a note. And the topic was about desire and, and energy. And when we desire something, we have all the energy in the world. There's no shortage of energy when we are desirous. When you're in love or in lust and you have somebody that you're going after, man, you never sleep. You're always on. Because you're desiring that. When you're growing a plant that's doing great, you can't wait to see it first thing in the morning. You wake up and you're like, oh, my plant. You can work a long, hard day. A long, hard day. Exhausted. And your honey comes home and says, I got tickets to the show that you wanted to see so bad. Boom! You wake right the hell up. And you hop in the shower, you get dressed, and you're off. And you're having a time of your life, and you've got all the energy in the world. There's no shortage of it when we have the desire. And what does that tell me? It tells me that what we desire is mindless entertainment and some reasonable explanation. And we really don't mind being oppressed. We don't desire freedom the way that I do, generally speaking. 
So I'm looking for those that do. I'm looking for those that don't give a damn about if somebody did something or said something or uh, offended somebody or whatever. Let's make it bigger than all that. Let's get to work. Because this isn't going to fix itself. It hasn't yet. It's been over 80 years of this oppression. And we're no better off. Not really. Not really. So, I want to tell another little story. And this is a, a another story of why we haven't ended Prohibition. This is a story that just came to my mind because I saw we're coming up on the anniversary of the case. But this is an individual that came to me years ago when we had the headquarters chapter. This is before we were even a 501c3, I think. And uh, we were holding meetings in my patio, and we had, oh, geez, 30, 40 people show up sometimes. And this individual came and was had a dispensary in Orange County and was fighting for certain things and had a special niche to his dispensary, how he donated to some cause, and it was it was interesting, and I said, well, great, it'd be great to have you participate and be part of this organization, and he showed up at a couple of meetings, and that was it, never heard again from him, I might have even donated or been a member at one point, and then at one point, I think it was more than a year later, I got a phone call. And I got a phone call from this guy, and he informed me that he was, he had been raided, and he was starting a trial. I think he had already started the trial. And there was nobody there. And he had a lawyer, but he was afraid that they weren't going to do a very good job, and he remembered us, always at the last second. Can you help? Well, of course we did. We put the flag out. We said, "Come on, we got, we got, we got work to do." Time to call the fire alarm, and and uh, we suited up. We took a day off of work. We took a week off of work, pretty much. We drove into Orange County from from where we were at, which is 50 miles drive one way, through traffic to the 91 freeway, some of the worst traffic there is. Every morning for, it was about a week. And this individual, um, it was a tough case. He got set up and did some stupid things, agreed to some stupid things, and uh, ultimately got convicted. And they took him away right when he was convicted into custody, and for a week or so prior to sentencing, um, I went and visited him a couple of times, and we talked, and when I was there visiting this individual in jail, of course, I was a savior of sorts, I was somebody who cared when people didn't. It's a hassle to go visit people in jail. If you've ever done it, it's a real hassle. I recognized the hassle when people visited me because I know what a hassle it was. Scary. And you're hanging 
hanging out with some, you know, pretty heavy people. Anyways, we put together a letter writing campaign, as we've done so many times. And I believe that that letter writing campaign and our, and our presence in court ultimately played a part in the outcome. And then the outcome was he didn't have to go to prison. He had to go to jail for like a week and then had probation. And it was dozens and dozens of letters. I don't know, there was probably more than 50 letters in, in a short period of time. And um, the judge referenced the letters. And our, our presence there, even though we didn't get a, the desired effect, we didn't get an acquittal, we got, man didn't have to do prison. And the second that that sentencing was over, that family turned their back on us. Because he wasn't supposed to have anything to do with the pot people. And the family basically said, well, we're sorry, we can't have anything to do with you. Now, when it was time for us to help, it was, please, please, oh, please come. But the second it was inconvenient, sorry, we can't have anything to do with you. Well, his probation has recently gotten over. And out of nowhere, I received a message over two years later, almost three years later, from this individual. And he said, oh... Just wanted to let you know how grateful I am for everything you've done. And I said, oh, thanks. Didn't really have much to say. And he asked how we're doing. I said, we're doing great. We're still working on ending prohibition. And he didn't have a whole lot to say. And I didn't have a whole lot to say. And it's not that that has anything to do with what we do or why we do it. It's just the reality. It's people. It's the exceptional people and everybody else. Things are not equal. We all think, oh, we're all equal. Well, are we? Really? We're, we're created equal. But what's equal about us? Really? Our rights are equal. Yes, I grant you that. Our rights are absolutely equal. We have a right to the same thing. All of us, every single one, I don't give a damn. But are we equal? I don't think so. We're not equal about much. You know, look around you. Who is like you? <laughs> We're all pride ourselves on being unique. Well, that doesn't make us equal. It makes us different. If we were equal, we'd all be the same. Isn't that the definition of equal? So... We're going to go a little bit long because we just tend to do that. When I talk about this, it's not disparaging anybody, please. Anybody knows me, my God, I appreciate everything anybody's ever done, ever. Even the people that have come to despise me and our organization for whatever crazy reason. If they helped, I appreciate it because it helped us ultimately regardless of 
differences ever were. This is bigger than all of us, folks, and I'm looking for the A-team. I'm looking for the couple of exceptional people that are listening to this that say, yeah, you know what, I get what you're saying. I get it. Most people gloss over, we're talking too many words, blah, 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 blah. I get it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the one that says, yes, I get it. We need to end this once and for all, and you need some help. That's who I'm talking to. And if one person out of the 4,000 people that listen to this show this week, one person says, hey, I'm, I get it, I'm, I'm there, then this show was worth it. And if it doesn't happen, then it's still worth it. Because Craig got to talk and, and, and uh, Ted got to talk, and it's worth it for those reasons. But I'm looking for that one person or that hopefully a dozen people that get it, that are willing to show up and do the hard work, regardless of what anybody says or thinks or cares about, and just wants to bring the freedom that we all deserve. That's what I'm looking for. Maybe it's you. Think about it. Sleep on it. All right. This is another little thing, and then we're going to go to Tom and end the show. I have worked very hard for a dozen years or ten years with the human solution, specifically working to end prohibition. In the course of these ten years, I've worked with, I don't know, probably a hundred people, dozens for sure, of people that were good people, that were uh, that have worked hard on a number of fronts. Um, we worked with a group called FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association, for years. And for many years in a row, we worked together to get jury rights day to be a thing. And one, one year I went uh, up to Spokane, Washington, and uh, this person joined me, and we, we sat on the street corner together, her and I, and we educated jurors. We sat there for a few hours and handed out pamphlets and talked to the people walking by. She showed me her method. We shot some training videos. We worked together. Uh, she came on this show numerous times. And I struggled with this relationship a little bit because I know there was a case in Kansas that we supported heavily, and they reached out to this organization, and they didn't help. And we did, and we ended up getting a jury nullification victory. That was one of the crowning accomplishments we've had is that case. But PJ wasn't there for that case, and I don't know why not, but it doesn't matter. That's not what this is about. What this is about is kind of my broken heart over this. This person's a good and wonderful person. But last year, we didn't really get our jury rights to be together, and she sent our, our uh, literature, which we've dispersed, just not on that one day. And then she came out a few months ago, and I had tentatively agreed to host an event. But, of course, I didn't hear anything about it for a while, and then all of a sudden, a couple of days prior, I got reminded about this event. 
and I didn't have anybody or any place to do it, and I felt bad, but I just, you know, we didn't, we didn't make it happen. It wasn't important enough for us to happen, and it didn't. And I never heard back from her, and I can't help but think that she probably got her feelings hurt. I don't know. Maybe that's not the case. I don't know why, but I haven't heard back from her. And then I just came to realize today, as I'm poking through some things, that Jerry Wright's day was last week, or today. I think today was Jerry Wright's day, September 5th. And and I'm a little sad about that because normally we would work together as a team. And there's no reason that we didn't work together as a team. It's just a matter of willing people, the desire. Jury nullification is one of the fundamental premises that we educate people about. Uh, it's, a, it's an ultimate right, just as much as this whole sovereign thing and, and defending yourself and knowing the laws. This is Beyond all that, this is a, a, a right that we have to vote not guilty if we decide, we decide that a law is immoral or unjust. We have a right, not a law, we have a right to vote not guilty. We have a right and an obligation. But people don't know about it. And this organization is all about that. So I send condolences to our relationship with uh, Ficha, and I, I, I certainly hope that we can repair that. I don't know what caused it, just uh, not enough energy, not enough desire. I would like, hopefully, there to be more desire, and maybe we can put together another jury rights day on our own. All right, that's about it. I got Tom Corby, and then we're going to close it down. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. I uh, want to thank you, Joe, uh, Mary, Becca, always a coffee party radio show, which is yet another historical show. I say that, folks, as you know, eight years ago, after we got busted and I got connected with the human institution in Joe, there was only one chapter in California that was Joe. Uh, once we formed the Northern California chapter, uh, just in the last eight years, we're now 50 chapters international. I'll say that on this line, that that's due to the folks like Joe said that do come to stand the ground. I have Dr. Allen with me here today, Frank Canan, Alex Lyons, Bucky Lyons, and Sequoia. Uh, these people have stood their ground, and this is what helps us finding in prohibition. I want to wish uh, Amy a happy birthday, and also my wife Donna Corby today is 73 years old. Uh, we're here at Radio Farms with friends today, uh, Frank and Ann, and Doc, and all of us. And they might all like to say a little something. So, Doc, if you'd like to just say, uh, what would I like to say? What Doc did it was lucky. Uh, they had they, they uh, got a, almost a horrible. Yeah, well, they they uh, they got some extra uh, medicine, and they took it down in Sacramento, and they gave it to the homeless bags, and it was, and, uh, it was really a nice thing to do. So, Doc, with us here today. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Haven't talked to you in a while. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine, thank you. I hope you're well. Absolutely. Better and better. 
I'm glad you're continuing on the fight with your radio show. Oh, I'm continuing on the fight with the radio show and and lots of other things. We're 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 still we're still trying to finish the job. Well, we're we're doing our part here. Uh, we had some extra medicine left over from last year, and we decided to donate it to the uh, homeless. Oh, so we uh, so we bagged it up and drove around Sacramento and uh, donated to the homeless. Now, now you weren't worried about um, um, getting it tested and making sure that it didn't have any any chemicals or pesticides or mold on it. Um, you didn't worry about not paying your taxes on it or any of that. Was it after 10 p.m.? Well, it was. <laughs> It was it was certainly non union pot. And non union wasn't excellent. Excellent. Well and, uh, I, and again I am being horribly sarcastic about that. I, I I commend you guys for doing that. And, you know, that's, that's what happens when we just are allowed to grow the plant just a little bit and you'll always end up with more than you need and you can give some to the people that need it and it's really no big deal. Well, people have been smoking marijuana for thousands of years without complications, and there may be some new complications from some of these pesticides, but those haven't actually been demonstrated yet. And so usually if you know the grower, uh, you're safe to, to grow, smoke any pot. And so I, we know the grower, and he grows organically, and so we're safe in giving this safe medicine out to people who need it. Good point, Doug. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so well, we're talking about a master, a master's in growing. Quake and Ann right here has grown for 25 years. And Hi, Joe. Hi, Liz. Coffee for you. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. Glad celebrating Donna's birthday. Absolutely. Happy birthday, Donna. Um, we're working our way towards the right now. We're out in the lawn. You've been here before. And uh, Alex is up here. Yeah. And, and so we're heading to the house now. And uh, I have Ricky here, a friend uh, friend of Doc, today. And here's Rocky Flower. You'd like to say hello to the radio show? Hello. Hello. But that's Sequoia right here. You you know Sequoia, he's really grown up, so Hello Sequoia. Yeah, Sequoia, little Sequoia. Boy here's Alex Lyons. Lucky Lyons. Hey Alex. Top of the How's it going? Top of the medical to you, Joe, and the human solution. Blessings Woo! to all the Ganja Warriors out there on the air. Opa. Celebrating uh, old Mama Donna's birthday, Earth Strong, and uh, feeling feeling good, feeling good in the neighborhood. That's what I like to hear. You got some good rhyming about you today. <laughs> yeah, I got a song for you whenever you're ready. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, love the song. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Sequoia's uh, almost walking. He took his first ten steps. 
Ten Stepper today. Right. right on. Oh, well, that's when all the fun begins. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's out of. He's out of cool. here. He's out of here. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure you get what's coming to you with that one, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Keeping us, keeping us on our toes. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, pray. I, uh, Let's remember for brighter futures. Let's pray for brighter futures. Big up to all the folks out tomorrow. And let's make that happen. That's what I say. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pass it back to Tom. Love you guys. All right, Tom. Well, all right. I'm in the house now, and Bobby would like to say hello. On the court here. Hey, Joe. Hey, daughter. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. I hear it's somebody else's birthday, too. Oh, yeah? Happy birthday. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we got we got, we got got two birthday people here. We got little Sequoia. His is in a few days. And my nephew, awesome. Lee. Awesome. Well, that's Hey, good job. Hey, good job with yep. everything, Joe. Enjoyed listening oh, to you. you well, I uh, will likely uh, want to come up and see you guys before too long again. It's been a while, and, uh, you know, we, we miss seeing you. Uh, we miss seeing you guys, too. We know you're super busy. Just hang in there and keep breathing. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. You do the same. All right, well, happy birthday, right. and we will talk soon. Okay, honey. Bye-bye. All right. All right, Tom. All right. All right, Joe, I want to thank everybody today coming together and helping to do solution to end prohibition free all our pre OWs. I want to go to jail for a class and uh, don't forget to breathe. Ready uh, to listen to Willie. Thanks, Joe, and everybody. All right. Well, folks, uh, I want to thank everybody that made the show possible. And we went long again, but that's how it goes. And uh, a few last words from Willie. I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.